Hello and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Iscaros. It was probably my life's greatest struggle from the moment I came to faith in Christ pretty much until right around my 40th birthday. It was a very, very long struggle. And that is the foreboding sense, the overwhelming, crushing perception I had that I was invisible that simply no one saw me or cared to see me, no matter what I did, no matter what I was trying to do, it was just so easily overlooked. Um, So much so that I think my husband could probably have repeated verbatim various sentences I would say when I would get on one of my I'm invisible tirades. It would go something like this. In the normal state of affairs, things get missed in marriage or in raising kids. You know, they don't put away their shoes when you ask them to put their shoes away for the third, fourth, twelfth time. You ask your husband to put his socks in the hamper and he doesn't put his socks in the hamper and you put the socks away one, two, twelve, eighty-seven times and then they don't. And normally it's a nuisance. It's part of being in a family. But to me, it triggered something and it would become this, nobody has ever seen me my whole life. Nobody has ever heard anything I have to say my whole life. I have to scream and yell and bang a drum and somehow do something tremendous in order to be noticed. I am invisible. No one sees me. No one acknowledges me. No one cares. I know it sounds a bit like a pity party, but It was a pretty serious situation for me, and I dealt with it for years, and it was coming to a head slowly as my kids got older. Perfect case in point, they could tell you the scandal of the laundry baskets, because there was a tradition in our house. It's still how we do things. I will wash the laundry. I will fold the laundry. I will put the laundry in the laundry baskets, and then I leave it for the kids to sort whose stuff is whose, and they have to put it away in their drawers. That's how it has always been. And in our old house in New Jersey, it could be four girls. I would put maybe three, four laundry baskets, line them up in the hallway outside their bedrooms. And That was a not-so-subtle hint that it's time for you to sort the laundry and put it away. And inevitably, they just wouldn't do it. So they would go fishing through the laundry that I had folded, and slowly over the next couple of days that turned into weeks, everything I had folded would get unfolded, and they would just be a potpourri of laundry in the hallway. So we're tripping over baskets and laundry that was once clean that's now on the floors. And at a certain point, I was really conducting, I felt like a social experiment to see how long it would take them to finally get the hint that it was time for them to put their stuff away. And I want to say that the laundry baskets stayed out for maybe two weeks. Maybe we're approaching week three by the time I threw a federal hissy fit. I mean, I think it involved screaming and crying and the throwing of laundry over my head, basically saying, I am invisible. Clearly, what I do does not matter, so much so that I could spend all this time folding and washing laundry, and no one even cares that the laundry has been washed and folded, while all of these poor children were staring at me like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> and it was an issue for me. It was definitely something that needed healing. And as I frequently share when I am teaching and sharing my testimony, 
God delivered me from the lie that I am invisible, that nobody cares with some really incredible truth. And you may have heard me mention this on the podcast before, but on my 40th birthday, my husband, my kids, and my best friend threw me a surprise 40th birthday party. And it was incredible. And one of the most memorable parts of the birthday party was that they had everyone who had come together who wanted to stand up and basically share something about me that was meaningful to them. And it's a eulogy, right? We always think of eulogies in terms of funerals, but a eulogy is a speech given in praise of someone. And all too often we wait too late and and only give them at funerals. But I was getting eulogies while I was still living. And person after person was telling me that I had taught them this, or I had done that, or they were expressing ways that my life mattered, that I wasn't invisible. And slowly but surely, that lie of the enemy that he had had me in bondage with, that stronghold that had a stronghold on me, dissipated. Because the way to combat a lie is with truth. And that was life-changing for me. But this thing in me, and I really feel that's in all of us, this desire to be seen, this desire to be acknowledged is really part of the human condition, isn't it? We all need some sort of validation or acknowledgement of some sort. I mean, listen, whether it's a coworker, a spouse, a child, a fellow laborer in Christ, we'll, we are all inclined to desire some form of recognition somewhere, somehow. I mean, a pat on the back is the very least we can give for a project that's well done in the workplace or a meal that's well prepared at home or laundry that's well folded and and washed and cared for, right? But amazingly, this principle, this idea of wanting acknowledgement and sometimes downright wanting praise, feeling like we need it, feeling like, wait for it, that we deserve it, lies at the heart of the name of God that we are going to study on today's podcast. And that's the name El Elyon. E-L is the first word, Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N, El Elyon. El means God, Elyon means most high. So taken together, it is God most high. And we're going to explore its meaning and its significance very closely. Turn with me to Genesis 14. I'm going to recap with you what's happening here, but Genesis 14 is a great example of where this name shows up and why it's incredibly important, especially in light of our need for recognition and acknowledgement. In Genesis 14, we read the account of how Abram had just returned from rescuing his nephew Lot. If you read the chapter, you'll quickly remember that Abram and 318 trained men of his household had pursued and defeated the kings of the region that had captured Lot. Abram recovers Lot, his household, and all of the possessions that had been taken as spoils of war, and he returns victorious, okay? He's coming back. He has won this epic battle. And the king of Sodom, who had previously been defeated by these kings that had taken Lot, comes out to meet Abram in the Valley of Sheva, okay? And so he meets him, and 
If you were to pause for a moment and insert yourself, or if I were to insert myself into the story, you see the king of Sodom, a king who had been defeated in the past, and you think to yourself, hey, hey, look at him. He failed where, you know, I succeeded. I just went on this epic rescue mission. And look, Abram may have not thought this, okay? He may have never thought this way. But maybe one of us might have had a slight twinge of pride at what just happened. We might have been like, oh, yeah, boy, check me out, you know, and how incredibly victorious we were. But what happens next in the story, I feel like it eliminates any occasion for any form of pride to take hold in Abram. And it's evidenced by the appearance of Melchizedek the king of Salem, the king of peace, and the priest of God Most High. He enters the scene, and he blesses Abram, and he says the following in Genesis 14, verses 19 and 20. So turn there, look at that verse with me, Genesis 14, 19 and verse 20. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Let's hear that again very carefully. Blessed be Abram of God Most High. So not Abram of this great victory, Abram who once was from Ur of the Chaldees, who's now done this and that and all of the praise of Abram. No, Abram who is born of created by, developed by God Most High. And that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies, Abram, into your hand. Melchizedek praises God Most High. He doesn't bless Abram for his might or his wit, but God and God alone. See, he praises where praise is due, to El Elyon. That's the name there, God Most High, El Elyon, the name of the God they are all to worship. So as I said earlier, El means God and Elyon means Most High. So when joined together into this compound name, the emphasis is placed on God's majesty and his supremacy. He is ultimately being acknowledged here as possessing the highest superiority in all of humanity, in all of the supernatural world and the natural world. He is God Most High. See, he's referred to as God Most High or Lord Most High, and this compound name occurs 12 times in the Old Testament, and really the first four times are occurring here in this one chapter in Genesis 14. But in several other places, it's so clear how God Most High is used as this designation of supremacy. And I love it, especially in Psalm 57, verse 2. It's put this way, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. The reason why Psalm 57, verse 2, the one I just read you there, is so important to me personally, given the illustration I just shared with you about my need to be validated and my struggle with feeling invisible, is in that sentence, 
It's the fusion of the two things. We all long for purpose. We all long to have a reason to live and for our existence. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's crying out to God Most High. Why? Why is he crying out to him? Because it is God Most High, El Elyon, who fulfills that purpose for us. See, when we find our purpose, when we explore it and we know it and we determine the talents we have, we can then sometimes turn that inward and praise ourselves, right? We can say, oh, look at me. I'm a successful at-home mom. I'm a successful doctor. I'm a successful office worker. And we can say, I am good at X, Y, and Z, rather than giving praise to the one who fulfills his purpose for us. The idea here is that the Lord Most High means that there is to be no idol, no God, no created being that should ever be worshipped, none, zero, that should be exalted to God because he's superior in every way. And that means even if that's aspects of our own nature, of our own character, of our own victories, nothing of ourselves should be elevated above and beyond El Elyon, God Most High. And look, it's clear because God's first commandment given in the Ten Commandments is that we're not to have any other gods before him. That's how important this thing is to God. You are to have no other God before me. So there's only one, and it's God, El Elyon. But back to Genesis 14. See, after Melchizedek offers that verse of praise there, what do you think Abram's response was? Is he kind of like dejected, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, let's praise God. Right. Mm-hmm. Or does he somehow feel like it's cliched? You know how people will come up to him and be like, praise the Lord this or praise the Lord that. And sometimes our heart is hurting about something or we're just not there in our hearts. And we feel like, gosh, sometimes praise the Lord feels like a cliche. It feels fake. No, he, Abram, in this passage acknowledges God Most High as the one who achieves the victory, as the one who's worthy of the praise. In Genesis 14, verse 22, listen, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. What does that mean? He's using the exact language Melchizedek just gave, and he's saying, I'm going to worship. I understand well that if anyone deserves a pat on the back in this whole escapade, it's El Elyon. It's God most high. So I want to turn that into a question for us here early on in 2022. How should the knowledge that God is El Elyon, God most high, how should it affect how we worship here in this day and age when we may not be winning the kind of clear victories that Abram has here, okay? So some of us may even feel like we're losing. Can I get a witness on that? I know some of you listening right now feel victorious in your families, in your workplaces, in ministry, in your private life, in your public life. But some of us may be feeling defeated left, right, and center. And you may be like, what am I going to praise God for? I'm a mess. My life is a mess. What am I going to be praising El Elyon for here? Hear me on this. Whether your life is a success or a failure, at any given point in time, you can 
always praise God for who he is, no matter what is happening or what you feel he is or is not doing at any given moment. You can always praise God for who he is, El Elyon, Adonai, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Ra. We have given plenty of names that we can be utilizing to fully bring praise to God Most High for who he is, aside from what our lives look like, aside from what's happening on the day-to-day. That's my challenge to me. I want to be more intentional in seeing God's presence, not just what he does, but who he is and praising God for who he is. I don't want to just focus on what's visible. Because look, I don't know about you, but if I'm only paying attention to what's visible, so what is happening in any one of my relationships at any given point or or what's happening in my health, if I'm only looking at that tangible, I will be discouraged and I will find reasons not to praise and not to lift his name high. But instead, I want to know that what is invisible is still true. In other words, I want to walk by faith not by sight, and I want to praise him no matter what is happening in the visible realm. Psalm 145 verse 3 puts it perfectly. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. There is always a reason to give praise. Always. If everything you have is gone and lost, there is still reason to praise. Jesus, again, in the model prayer, and we mentioned this in the study of Adonai, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Stop there. Before we even are asking him about forgiving our sin and and giving us this day our daily bread and any of our needs, he's basically saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, there is a reason to praise God, to hallow his name, Why? Because he's El Elyon, God Most High, because he's our Father in heaven. You can praise him when there is no other reason in hand to praise him. Would you do that this year? Would you do it today? If you're listening to the podcast in your car, would you praise him right now, here today, You are God most high. I praise you. If you are listening to the podcast while you're doing housework, and I love hearing feedback where people are listening to the podcast while they're tackling mounds of laundry. And I just love giggling about the story I just shared with you all as we're praising God as we're doing laundry. The fact that you have people in your household to fold and wash for means that God is creator He has provided those clothes and he has provided the people and the lives that wear those clothes. Praise him. We must rewire our brains to praise him no matter what is happening. And I guess maybe you can think with me about this specifically. Aside from us praising God for who he is, How about for specific things that he has done? I just finished telling you 
There's always a reason to praise, even if everything is a mess. But I'm also going to say that even when everything seems like it's a mess, is it really, though? Is it really, though? You can look around you and you can see El Elyon, God Most High, and praise him for healing the brokenhearted. It says that in Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. You can praise him for healing the brokenhearted even while yours is still broken. Because I assure you, if your heart is broken today over one thing, a year ago it was broken over something else that he brought you through. Praise him. He'll do it again. You can praise him for putting the isolated, the solitary in families. The Psalms say that El Elyon does that. God Most High is the one who gives the childless a family. He puts solitary in families. And guess what? If you are in a family of some sort, even when they drive you crazy, you can praise him that he has given you that family because that family is doing something for you and you for them, even when it hurts, praise him. You can praise God most high, believe it or not. I know you might be tempted not to believe me about this, but you can rest assured that you can praise El Elyon, God most high, no matter what's going on on the world stage. It is El Elyon that raises up and deposes earthly rulers. Rest assured of that. There is no authority apart from God Most High. Romans 13 tells us that. Daniel 2 tells us that. You would do well to remember that, not just in election cycles, whether the person you want is elected to Congress or not, or to the presidency or not, But no matter what's happening worldwide, you can rest assured that if God's word says that those powers are there only by God's hand, you can worship and praise El Elyon, God Most High, even when it looks like, how is this going to work out for good? Trust God to work it out for good. Because when you are praising El Elyon, you are basically saying, you, God Most High, are sovereign over the affairs of men. I will trust you. But what makes it so hard for us to do this? Let's be honest here. What makes it so incredibly hard for us to do this? Because if we are being very honest, it's tricky most of the time to praise God when our hearts are broken or when the world stage is so tumultuous. See, we can't forget that there are constant efforts underway daily to thwart us worshiping God as God most high. But I want to look at two examples quickly in Scripture and specifically draw out why they are relevant. The first example of the effort to thwart us understanding God as El Elyon is in 1 Samuel 5. 1 Samuel 5. The passage is in verses 1 through 8. I strongly encourage you to read it. And again, I always tell you this. Read the passage. If you have to choose between reading the Scripture and hearing me teach you about the Scripture, read the Scripture. But it's when the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant, the earthly representation of God on earth at the time, and they set it beside their idol Dagon. And the next day, Dagon fell over and was fundamentally bowing before the Ark of the Covenant or the Lord Most High. So the Philistines are like, hmm, that's interesting. So they dutifully go over and they set their idol back up. They put Dagon back on his feet. 
And they leave. And the next day, Dagon is down again. He has fallen down again. But this time, he's broken off his hands. I think his head has come off. And so much so that the Philistines understood at that point, oh, no, our gods are no match for God most high of the Israelites. Our God is no match for El Elyon. In fact, they're like, we got to get the Ark of the Covenant out of here. This isn't going to work out for us. The Lord Most High in this story is proving again and again that there is no idol and anything that can stand beside him or above him. But you better believe that there was an effort of that enemy force to sit him right next to all of the gods of the world. Well, you know what? You can have your Jesus and you could just have him next to all these other things you worship. You can have all of your worldly enticements, all of your amusements, all of your things, and Jesus too. And that's a perfect example of no, no, you cannot. There's only one, El Elyon, the Lord Most High. Everything else bows to him. They're not even to be put in the same sentence. A second example of the enemy's efforts to thwart us seeing El Elyon as God Most High, one and only, is when Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3 wanted Daniel and his friends to worship the golden image that he had erected. And Daniel's friends refused to worship him, so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And you'll remember that they're thrown in there, and as they look on, they see that there is the angel of the Lord in the fiery furnace with the three young men. And that's where we get that great worship song that I love so much, Another in the Fire, standing close to me. He didn't leave them alone in the fiery furnace, but I want you to listen to Daniel 3.26. This is Daniel 3, verse 26. Listen to this. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. He acknowledges this godless Gentile king who was incensed not too long before that they weren't worshiping the golden image. He recognizes that they are servants of the Most High God, and that God is the one and the only. See, it's very easy for us to see God as El Elyon over the macro level of life, right? We can see him as creator God of the world. We can see him moving maybe over nations and kings. But do we see him consistently as a personal God, as the one in the fire with us? Do we see him as one who'd be with us in the fire enough to take a bold stance like the friends of Daniel did? And this is actually how I began the question of Adonai just a couple weeks ago, where I was asking you, who is God and who is God to us? El Elyon is God most high in the world at large, but he's also God most high in your personal, private life. Listen, the enemy does not want you to believe that El Elyon is the only God most high. And the reason being, look, Satan wanted to be greater than God from the beginning. Isaiah 14, 14 tells us that Lucifer said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So Lucifer said to himself one day, I'm going to be like El Elyon. 
I got this. How did it work out for Lucifer? Was that a masterful plan? No, he was cast down, him and his minions, and he's been trying desperately to regain his footing ever since, but he's already a defeated foe. But from the beginning, he has wanted to supplant the only one Most High God. But he not only tries to be like Elyon himself, he tries to get us to join in a similar effort in our own lives. Don't forget what he whispered to Eve in the garden with his first appearance on the scene on a human level. In Genesis 3 verse 5, he says this, for God knows that in the day you eat of this tree, he's pointing out to Eve, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. He's basically saying, listen, When you do this thing God told you not to do, you're going to be like God and God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like El Elyon, God Most High. But isn't that the same lie that he's subtly speaking to us and that we're prone to believe even now today? We are still trying to find a way to be mini-gods. We may not have the guts to say, well, I want to be El Elyon, God Most High, but we sort of want praise in our own right We want to seek our own glory in some way. Now, look, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I think it's very important to encourage people, all right? I've heard people take this kind of a teaching too far in the other way and are refusing to give any encouragement or any praise to anybody of any kind, and I feel like it's wrong and it's not biblical, and I can explain why. In another message, I fully intend to speak about what um, words that are aptly spoken, what a good word is like. We'll get to that in another message. But I think it is important to encourage people to tell your children that you're proud of them, to tell employees that they're doing a good job. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage other people. What I'm saying is when you are not acknowledged, When you are not given consistent praise and a pat on the back, do you get angry? Do you get vindictive? Do you get sullen? Do you throw hissy fits like I threw over the laundry baskets? Or maybe we need to examine it another way. Do we do what we do with the motivation of garnering praise that only really belongs to God. Abram was careful not to take praise that belonged to El Elyon. Do we come out of a ministry situation and say, well, you know, it's because of the planning and and I did this and I did that? No, 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 no. See, I think especially when it comes to kingdom work, we have to be incredibly careful You guys don't hear this part of the podcast, but I lead every podcast between me and my friend who helps me with the editing and my family. We pray over every single episode. The way this is reaching anyone it's reaching is because God has chosen to use it to do so. Not because of me, not because of editing or tech or any of the other stuff. God is choosing to use it. And look, if God chooses to speak to Balaam through his donkey, I shouldn't be thinking all that highly of myself. Honestly, are we doing what we do to get noticed? 
Are we doing what we do because we want recognition for our accomplishments? And I guess what I'm saying is, can we, if we find this thing welling up in ourselves, begin to challenge ourselves to turn pining for recognition into a moment of praise of the Most High El Elyon? Psalm 7, verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. So when you're looking around yourself and you're tempted to grumble and complain, renew your mind to praise instead. Mothers, I know how thankless your job can be. Every time you feel that crushing moment that I have lived with all too often, praise God for those hands that you are wiping, those sticky fingers with peanut butter and jelly all over them. Praise God for those fingers. If you're homeschooling and you're exhausted teaching the same thing over and over again, now that my kids are leaving home and graduating college and midway through college and they're becoming infinitely more independent, I keep saying to myself, thank God I had all of those years where we were together. We were together. They were hard. They were messy. But now I look back and I can praise God that we had those years together. I wouldn't trade them for anything. Find ways to praise El Elyon in the middle of even those hard moments. When you are lonely and you are in a workplace that you feel like is thankless, Men and women who are in a workplace, it is brutal. I get it. I get it. You tack hours of commuting on top of a long work day and it's crushing and it's loneliness and exhaustion. Remember, he has promised, El Elyon, God of all, the God Most High has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Praise him. Begin to discipline yourself to turn all of that pining for recognition or for something different or for something more. Turn it into praise. Begin every time your mind starts leaning in that direction. I wish someone would notice me. I wish, I wish, I wish. Turn it into praising the one who truly deserves to be noticed. Leave the rest to God. Leave the recognition and the praise and the accolades. Leave the rest to God. Leave it to him. There is no one who can praise you like the Lord can. And let another man's lips praise you instead of your own anyway. But the best thing of all, praising the God Most High, the one and only El Elyon. Thank you for joining me for this latest installment in the Names of God, El Elyon. It's been such a joy to study the Word with you. Again, my name is Carol Escaros, and this is Rinse and Repeat. We're studying the Word of God closely in every single episode, whether it's verse by verse through a particular passage of Scripture, whether it's part of this ongoing series on the Names of God, or one of our Lanyap editions where we're talking about something that's personal to me or in the news cycle. The goal is running to the Word of God for the things that are most important to our daily lives. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness right there in the pages of His Word. That's why Rinse and Repeat is about 
washing of the water by the word, doing it again and again and again. You can get in touch with me at caroliscaros at gmail.com. That's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S at gmail.com. I would love to hear how the podcast is helping you. I'd love to hear your feedback. And please, if the program is blessing you, uh, take your Spotify link, take your a link on Anchor FM or Apple Podcasts and share it on social media, share it with other people. It's great to hear how others are hearing about the program. It's really the best way to get the word out, not by me doing it, but by you guys sharing it with others. And please do join me next time for our next installment here on Rinse and Repeat.